guest on this episode is a popular voice. From Monday to Friday at 9am, the people of Cork tune their radio dials to 96FM to the Opinion Line, hosted by yours truly, PJ Coogan. Hello PJ and how are you? How are you, Gene? Thanks for having me. Ah, good, good to be here. Oh man, PJ, listen to him. PJ, normally it's the first thing I ask everybody is, what was your life like growing up in Cork? So where do you want me to start? I was born actually, um, my, my dad was a guard and we, he travelled around an awful lot when I was young. So when I was born, they were living in Buttevant. He was the station, station sergeant in Buttevant and they lived in a, a house behind the station. If you're going through Buttevant, there's a, on your left-hand side as you head towards Limerick, there's what looks like a bit of an old castle. On your left-hand side, to go through the town. That's where the old gather station was. And we were living there. And we lived there till I was maybe, what, a year and a bit. And then Dad got transferred, and we came into Blarney. And we lived in Station Road in Blarney for years. And then he was stationed in Blarney. And then we got moved into town. And, of course, at that stage, I was living in four. And we bought the house, or my parents bought the house where I grew up, which was in Dunlock in a park called Silverdale. My grandmother was over the road in her place, and we split it between the two for a couple of years while the house had been put together, and then that's where I grew up. I was there for what, 40, 56 now. I'm married 27 years, so I was there, crikey, for all but about four years of my life. Going through life, Peter, right? Uh, and in your own words, there's people you met, right? There's mm. quotations you read, songs you heard, etc. And was there people who came into your life who influenced your life path in any way? I suppose the, the first influence in anybody's life are their parents. Um, Dad lived to be 81. He died in 2018. Mom is still around. Helen Harty turned 80 only the other day. And they were the... They were the, everyone's earliest influences, I guess, was their parents. One of my earliest memories of Dad's work was in the early days of the Troubles, the Northern Troubles. He found himself in a place called Scottstown in County Monaghan, right on the border, because a lot of guards were sent up there in the early days of the Troubles, and he was stationed up there for, he'd do a couple of weeks at a time. I wasn't much aware of this. We were only small for this, myself and my brother. But what we were aware of was he'd come home on a Friday night, he'd be home late, and he'd bring huge bags of toffees. He'd get these bags. They were like that tall. And he'd have fruit salads or blackjacks or whatever. And he'd bring them home. And that, now I don't know whether he was buying them in Scottstown or he was buying them out the road in the shop. I don't know. But that was a memory. He'd come back. He'd come back from the north and he'd be there for a while and be gone again. He was a few years in, in Scottstown. Uh, for a few, sorry, a few trips up and down to Scottstown. Mm. And we were growing up. Uh, at, at home at the times, my, my brother is five years younger than me, so I think he was around when Dad was in Scottstown. So that would have made me around eight or nine. And then uh, going to school, who influenced me in school? I suppose all your teachers do. Um, I remember a man who stands out to this day. He was a music teacher, and I have a lifelong love of music, and it, it's just part of me. It flows through me. It flows through my son as well. But uh, there was a man called Shawnee Brennan who uh, he was from Leinster, I would say. I wouldn't have said he was a dub. He'd probably be most upset if I said he was a dub. He, he uh, was a magnificent music teacher, and he brought out a love and understanding of music in, in us. Um, I, my, first, my, my mother talks 
about the, the earliest association between me and the radio. And this is a true story. I was about nine months old. And I don't think I'd slept a full night since I came home from the bonds where I was born. And in sheer desperation to try and get a bit of sleep herself, the poor woman, she put a small transistor radio down the end of my cot. And at that time, Larry Gogan, Gabby Gutu, used to be doing late night requests on RT radio. It was only Radio 1 then. And he, um, he was on and she put the radio on down the end of the cot. And from that day to this, and this is as true as I'm sitting here, I still have a radio on at night in the bedroom. I don't sleep without a radio or some kind of sound. It's just a thing. And that's, I think, where it's set in. Um, so would Larry Gogan have been a very early influence in my career, probably. Uh, growing up, listening to, um, listening to the master. Now, if you need to ask who the master is, you don't know much about Irish broadcasting. Um, well, everybody but, knows the master of the airwaves was yours truly, the late and great Larry Gogan. Well, you know, no. He, the master was Gable. Oh, well, yeah, I was looking at the TV for Gable, yeah. but the radio, like... You know, my first memory of Larry, sorry, my first memory of Gable is radio. Uh, yeah. My very first, I, I do remember the Late Late Show, but it was too small. To, I didn't understand what, how important it was back then. But I, I remember him in the good suit with the long microphone that looked like the top of a golf club going around the, the lip. My, my memory of him is radio and that tune that used to introduce him. And if you were homesick from school or off from school, that tune and him reading letters and talk to people on the telephone. That was my memory. And then I had an obsession as a young fellow with Radio Luxembourg because as you, there, there wasn't much pop music on Irish radio. And I remember having a small little thing. There's my, look, there's my phone. And the little radio I had was, was smaller than that. And I had a little bit of a white earpiece that had come out of the back of it. And you'd be trying to tune in Radio Luxembourg or you might get BBC Radio too. So I'd be up listening to them late at night through the squealy sound. But always listening to the radio, listening to music, listening to people talking and telling stories on the radio from as young as I can remember being able to turn it on myself. Well, Peter, to put it in best terms, I think you were born to go on the radio, were you? I don't know that I was. You see, I, initially, all I ever wanted was to be a doctor. Now, it sounds very strange telling you what I've just told you, mm -hmm. but all through school and all through my youth, all I ever wanted to be was a doctor. Now, I had a grow for music and an idea that, you know, radio was a fascination for me. Did I ever actually want to do it as a job? Not at that point. Not at that stage. Um, I loved it. I loved the people involved. I was fascinated by the technology and all that. But I all, all I ever wanted to be was a doctor. And I used to read medical books. I, I used to look at any kind of a medical or science program on the television. Even when I was a small boy, I was fascinated by medicine and doctors and science and surgery. You name it, I wanted to know more. Um, I remember having little doctor's kits and little stethoscope around my neck and all these things. And then when it came to my leaving cert, uh, now we, we hear talk these days about, you know, uh, so-and-so got 580 or 620 points in the leaving cert. The maximum points you could get in the leaving cert when I was going to school was 32. And... For medicine in the year I did my leaving cert, medicine was 24 points. So that was pretty high. Hey, and hey, I did my, yeah, 24. There was five for an A, four for a B, three for a C in honours. 
Yeah. Except for maths where there was seven for an A and five for a B. And I was decent at maths. So I was going to get, I, I got the B out of maths eventually. But the first time I did my leaving cert, I got, uh, there was 20, maths was, or sorry, um, medicine was 24. And I got 19. And as you can imagine, I wasn't a happy bunny at all. So my dad and others said, look, you're young. Do you want to give it another go? And back then, we see, we did the thing called the matric as well. So the matric was an entrance exam to college. So you could combine the two and make the best score. And even with the matric, all I got to that year was 23. So I, wasn't, I was never going to see the inside of the medical faculty at that point. So I said, you know, Saturday was young. And I went back and did my leave insert again. I can't remember if I actually attended much the second. I did actually attend it. But this time, didn't I get my 24 points? And UCC put it up to 25. Now, one point back then is the equivalent of 150 points or more these days. So you can imagine I was caught a second time. So what I did then was my second choice had been science, and logical one. So I took that and I went into science. Did first year. Didn't do so hot on the exams. So I decided to repeat the year and you could repeat exams only. So I did. And in the middle of, the, in the middle of that, I discovered the radio. It was a small, tiny little radio station ran out of a caravan out in Toker called Radio Caroline. And it was run by a fella called Mickey Daly, who called himself Dave the Rock Hammond on the air. And I went out there one was it Saturday, it was. I cycled out there one Saturday morning. And I knocked on the door of the house, the small house. out. Not, the house isn't even there anymore. Now there's a veterinary clinic where the house once stood. And little fella opened the door and he was wearing, uh, to all extent, he'd spots. He had a very bad mustache and he had a, what, what they call a wife beater top on him. And he said, I said, I'm, I'm here to see Dave Hammond. Well, um, you have to make an appointment. Appointment like, yeah. right, in your hands own house. And the young fella who answered the door <laughs> to this day, Eugene, is yeah. my dearest friend in broadcasting, Ken Tobin. Oh, yeah, lovely fella. I've seen 103. So Ken opened that door to me that day. And then I went in and I said, I want to do a bit of radio kind of thing. I have a bit of time in my hands. I was only doing exams only in college, only going to the odd lecture that I had to go to. So he said, have you a demo tape? And I said, I don't. And he said, would you make one? I said, I can. Right. Yeah. So he said, I'll, I'll arrange to have you make one when we're off the air. Yeah. Right. So I taught him. I, this, I was really only tipping around looking for a, looking for a, a gig just to, just to prove to myself that I could actually do this. You see, mm -hmm. I was doing a bit of DJing at this stage at night, doing a few discos and stuff. And, and I'd, I'd done a few things like listener panels on music shows and things like that. You know, listening to the new release of the week or something. But anyway, I went home and I. And he said he'd phoned me. There was no mobiles. He said he'd phoned me about making uh, a demo. So I thought no more of this, went off home. And it was the weekend of the All-Ireland football final. And the following, that evening, about seven o'clock, the phone rang in the house. And my mother answered it. And she said, oh, 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 hold on, I'll get him. I'll get him. And she, she said, she said, do you know a fella called David Hammond? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, bear in mind, there was... What, what is it? Maybe 18, 19. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know who he is. Yeah. Went out and took up the phone. Um, I was thinking, oh, the match is on tomorrow. Um, and I'm supposed, would you come out and do three to six for me tomorrow? Let me watch the match. And that, as they say, is how it started. So I went out with my little bag of records, 
a whole a head full of ideas and lines and nonsense and somehow or other it ha- somehow somehow or other it worked um first ever first record i ever played ever played on the radio was uh, freddie mercury song and uh, which, one? Kills, which one did you play love kills i think his name but and he had that he came out at six o'clock and i'd done everything you're supposed to do i'd read all the notices off the wall i hadn't cursed in three hours which was great <laughs> and he came out and he said come here he said how free how free are you in the mornings so i said well i don't have any lectures before 12 and i'm not doing many lectures anyway because i'm doing standalone would you do 10 to 11 for me okay so what mornings every morning straight into the gay burn show slot <laughs> come on you're bold into the gay burn show come here to me come here to me like i mean i had no clue what i was doing i was coming out my records in a plastic bag having spent my life listening to gaybo and Larry Gogan and Radio Luxembourg and doing it. So I basically bullshitted my way through the second year of school or of college and college never, never, I never went back. I never went back. I went from there to a version of South Coast Radio and I went from there to WBEN to work for the great Romano McCary. And, and then I, in the late 80s, was it the late 80s? I did. I got a start in an RTE because I had a contact who put me in touch with Kevin Hawk. And at the time, Kevin Hawk was the be-all and end-all producers in RTE. And I literally had just landed myself a slot on ERI. And ERI was the biggest pirate in the south of Ireland at that stage. And I'd landed myself a slot on ERI. And literally, I got a call the morning after I did my first slot from Lucia Proctor and RTE offering me the start of the Maxi and Co. Cork link which was Maxi used to a Sunday morning request show. Was that so a, was that a one of Maxi, Dick and Twink, was it? That's right. That's yeah. right. Irene McCubrey, the Maxi show. Maxi yeah. and co. She used to go around the country between 11 and 2 on a Sunday. She'd do Cork and Limerick and Galway and Waterford and Sligo. And she'd rotate us. You're doing every second Sunday. So it was 25 minutes every second Sunday. And I remember this is the 80s, late 80s. Yeah, it would be being paid the princely sum of £60 for that 25 minutes. And I thought, right, I'm sorry, no, but I have to leave the Pirates after me because this is a break. This is a big break. I never went back to the Pirates, and I, I kind of half regret it because I was fluting around then for a few years. I got it. Maureen Nivoraku was head of broadcasting in RTE Cork at the time. And in fairness to Lucia Proctor, who was the producer of Maxi, I had to go in to that studio to do my my Sunday show with Maxi and a head of radio at that point was a fellow called Billy Wall and Lucia and Billy sent a tape of me down to Maureen Ivoraku because at the time, the great Stevie Bulger, who, by the way, is still working in radio in Dublin. His son is now a cop, actually, a member of the armed response unit. But Stevie was um, Stevie was going off for his, the summertime and they needed some cover for Stevie. So the politics of getting this new young book that just walked in to cover for Stevie was like the business altogether. Eventually, anyway, I got two weeks doing, doing home spin for Stevie. And then I got three weeks at Christmas. I ended up becoming Stevie's fall in uh, substitute for about a year and a bit. And that was great crack. That was great fun. And then I was in and out. And the opportunity then came when the license stations were opening. 89. Um, and I decided, right, I can go from doing a few bits here and there and discoing and picking up with a bit of work ahead. And I'd gone back and done a, I'd done a course in electronics, uh, City and Guilds in electronics, 
uh, and instrumentation and stuff like that. So eventually in 89, I said, right, let's see if I can get into this station. And I got in and I got in and I probably scraped my way in the door of what was then Radio South. And sure, we all know what happened after that. So, well, just you're just say, talking there. Do you remember there was uh, a woman from Cove? Um, she used to be on the afternoons. The lovely uh, Jerry McLaughlin. Jerry McLaughlin, yeah. Jerry was a dear friend of mine. God yeah. bless her and be good to her. Yeah. Jerry started out actually reading the news on ERI under the name Katie Johnson. Yeah. And Katie Johnson was her on-air name for years. She never actually presented as Katie Johnson. She read the news. But then she, she went and she did a bit of work in RTE as Jerry McLaughlin. She was big in theatre. She was a marvellous actress. She was yeah, a wonderful, so. wonderful stage actress. Beautiful woman. Wonderful woman. I loved her to bits. And she then followed me into Radio South from, from RTE. We lost, we lost poor old Jerry to, 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 um, to cancer a number of years ago. She was, ah, she, was a, she was a beautiful person. I loved her dearly. Well, I tell you, years ago, Peter, right, when I used to come down to Cork, like near to my normal, and I used to listen to her in the afternoons because I actually enjoyed her show when I'd be driving along. Yeah. yeah. She was a great woman for the quizzes, so I took the chance, right? Mm. And just five questions competing again. So I was flying through the questions, you know. And yeah. they won whatever, but I never forget it. And somebody said to me after, geez, ha- sorry, excuse me. They said, you should have a, f- a go at a few shows. So your predecessor, Neil, had mm-hmm. a great show when he was on there. And he had a where in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, it was guessing. You know, everyone would come in and guess who was what. And it came up there. It was a place in Munster. It was actually sim. Mm. So, of course, I came on straight in and someone the cash, the rocket cash was further. And I said, it's totally <laughs> simple stadium. So, Paige says, you're the final. So, on the Monday, I went in. And it was a guess again where in the world. And I was sitting outside of Nina at the time, looking up at the signs in the shopping. And the shopping was Nina. Mm. And, um... I seen this cute, the ad for Cuba cigars, and I also rocked my head that the day before that, um, he was running Democrat at the time. It was he was progressive up Democrats. Up. No, in America. Oh, in America, right? I can't what year about this would be? Oh, go on, Pete. I, he, he had very grey hair, right? Did he become president? No, he didn't become president. Wasn't right. wasn't Jimmy Carter so any of them? No, wasn't Carter. No, right. go on a bit further. John Kerry. John Kerry. Ah, yes. Yes, John yes, Kerry. yes. So John Kerry had brought up something about Cuba at the time, right? So Nixon looked up at this and I was waiting for, and he just turned and said, Havana, Cuba. Well, Pete, or sorry, Neil was there and he says, oh, typical Tipperary man. He says, we t- you take everything off us, don't you? You take Munster finals, you take ever. You give us no chance. Now you want to come down and take what holidays we have to give to the cockpit. laughing, you know. <laughs> All I could do was laugh at Neil, like, you know what I mean? And why, if you, both, why later I met him after and he said to him, God, he said, you can't come back on again now because you took too much of us the last time. <laughs> it was a where the world competition, but he was a gas oh, man. Right. He was a gas man, Pete. Um, Neil is gas man. But, like, PJ, outside of that, it's, a one, it's one question. PJ, a time will come in your life and my life when we mm. will pass on to another world. Now, well, wherever that world may be, right? Mm. But when we get there, you say, when you get behind the decks in mm-hmm. that place, who would you like to give a shout out to now? Outside of your nearest and dearest, is there anyone 
particularly you say look come on up to the bikes come on up to the decks and, and, and we'll do a show together is there anyone you- uh, well I mean if there was anyone I could choose to do a show with to have the honour in the next life to the honour and privilege of doing a show with it would be the master it would be Gabo himself to outside of the very I goes I guess small how would you put it very small community that is Irish broadcasting I think uh, would I, as a studio guest if I could pick a studio guest I'd I'd bring Elvis Presley in with a guitar because when he sat down and strummed the guitar and he just sang with no mics, no orchestra, no jardiniers, no nothing. The guy was just the best. And I w- if I could have a studio guest to do a couple of songs for a show, Elvis Presley and an acoustic guitar, give me an hour and I'd make a great program. Now, I tell you, this is my favorite. You weren't expecting that, were you? What? You weren't expecting that. Well, Peter, I wasn't expecting it, but I'm actually delighted, <laughs> you know what I mean? I hope the viewers who are looking into this get an yeah. insight into the man, Peter Coogan. Because really and truly, Peter, and I'll be honest about it, I've listened mm. to you, and I know I'd be coming down from Tipperary, and I can't really pick it up till I get to Fermoy. Mm. But unless he can push it out that bit further, I hope he can. Because to me, it's a very good show, right? And I remember showing mm-hmm. you come on I went and you spoke about you're a very advocate of know your own, is it? Know my own. Uh, yeah, I tell you the story behind that. Um, I have no personal connection to adoption yeah. that ever was. But I developed an interest in it through just a number of friends of mine. And being able to organize things like press and media, one particularly good friend of mine was organizing a public meeting in Cork and she asked me for some help with that public meeting and I organized it and that was for a group in Dublin called Adoption Ireland. So again, no connection, just a fascination with the way that people who are should have to go looking for their other halves or looking for their parents or looking for their background and all this. And my friend who happened to be about the best in the business at searching and reunifying families doesn't do it anymore, so I won't mention her name. But uh, she she taught me everything I knew about it. And I got a huge interest, and I developed a knowledge of the law and understanding. I just became nerdy about it, if you like. And then I discovered I had one or two friends, everyday friends that I knew who were connected to adoption. So in 2003, if the year is correct in my mind, Mary Hannafin, was the minister actually at the a time. woman a tireless woman well now well now she was right mm-hmm. and she was she brought up the heads of a bill draft legislation in 2003 and i should tell you in searching for relatives and parents in adoption everything that we would use is all legal you just access public records, birth certs, marriage certs, death certs, baptismal certs. You can access every, it's all there in the public record. And we, many of us learned, I learned the very basics. My, some of my friends are brilliant to, to find all of this material by using the public records. And then you would just do little things like writing to, you'd write to postmistresses in post offices and you'd ring people. It's like, come here, do you, was there a woman there? And you'd eventually put all the information together and you'd get a name and you might get an address and you might even get a phone call. You would then stop 
because you didn't just... Anyway, that's a long way around. In 2003, Mary Hannifin produced the heads of a bill which effectively would make that illegal, that practice. Now, I don't know whether she did it deliberately or whether she didn't see the implication. Yeah. And 2003, she, 2003, she produces the heads of the bill which would have made all the common practices of tracing and reunification illegal. Uh, you'd have had to go through very strict channels, which, of course, you'd get nothing because they were the very channels that people were trying to, trying to avoid anyway because they'd tell you nothing. Going through your own adoption agency, you'd, you'd get nothing off them ever. So anyway, um, a number of people put their hands, heads up in Cork and said, no, sorry, we're not putting up with that. And No My Own was formed. No My Own was formed uh, after a series of public meetings and again, I went to the public meeting, to the formation of the public meeting, and I said, look, if there's anything I can do media-wise, I'm at your service. And from that day to this, no, my own remains in existence. I remain a very distant sort of consultant-type member if ever they need media advice. But that's, that's the connection. I've gone so far down the rabbit hole now that I don't even know the question you asked me in the first, in the first place. Oh, the no, my own group. That was it. It was formed. And a fellow called Oliver Kane then, he was the guy who, who came up with the name and it was uh, it, it, it's still going. It's still going. Well, PJ, all I can say to you, you've been a, lo- a lovely guest. And I tell you, to be honest, Paul, I didn't expect to for a man who's so quiet in himself. Right. I didn't. I was really surprised that you just you just let it pour. Right. Oh, well, I'm a storyteller. You see, that's what yeah. I do. And I. Well, there's no more I can say. Only say thank you very much, PJ, for coming in. Good pleasure. Or, or, Thanks or for joining me on Cart Matters, and I hope that both our my viewers and, of course, those who will be listening to us on the podcast will enjoy the silver voice to see the face behind the silver <laughs> voice of Mister PJ Coogan. For the best access solutions for independent living, choose Abbey Mobility 18. Acorn Business Campus, Marne Industrial Park, Blackrock, Cork.